Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime Kitty co-hosts, Miss Purrington and Mookie. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, our advice column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy, our festivals page listing upcoming festivals across the country and the world, and more. We're best known for our events page for live comedy shows in Austin, Houston, and DFW, where 100% of the entries you see come from comics and producers. If you want your show featured on the calendar, click the Submit a Show button from the top of the homepage or events page to complete the short survey. It's free and easy. Tag us on your Instagram stories, and we'll share your show promo to our Instagram followers. Want to support these resources we provide? You can donate to Comedy Wham on PayPal, Venmo, or even Patreon. Click the Support CW icon on our homepage to see the ways that you can help us. Now back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations and will usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country, even if if a comic happens to just be visiting Austin after having moved away. Uh, not dropping hints or anything. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today, his album Secrets on Sure Thing Records was released in the halcyon days of pre-pandemic life. He left Austin in 2019 for the uh, warm, I mean, it's warm here, uh, the, <laughs> the warm climate of Los Angeles. And last month, he came back to Austin and headlined the Velveeta Room, and we will definitely be talking about that. And he is here for his third time on Comedy Wham Presents. And now we present our guest for the third time, Aaron Brooks. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Uh, third time is a charm. I'll, yeah. This will be the first good one I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, I just uh, I also just pieced together before recording. We were talking about how this weekend alone I have recorded interviews in three different ways. Yeah, I just realized I have recorded with you three different ways. That's right. Yeah. Had the one All three ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were uh, well, you weren't. Our, I don't. I can't remember where in the sequence, but for a period, I was like all gung ho about doing this podcast live. And yeah. you were one of the, the live versions of, of yeah. you know, so, it's very fun. Yeah. I remember that fondly. <laughs> oh, you're too kind. Well, that was, you know, before you, you left us. So, you yeah. know, <laughs> uh, not to be, not to be cynical, but you were full of hope and, as much, hope, as much hope as Aaron Brooks can have. Yeah, really. <laughs> Hopeful. Yeah. And then the world, then the world fell apart. Then my life fell apart and the world fell apart. And, uh, yeah, here we, here we are several years later. Yeah. And I, and I was thinking as I was reading the introduction, um, you know, you, you haven't been a witness to all the stuff that has changed, you know, even with, with us at, in Comedy Wham, cause I, you know, I, I say, you know, um, we're best known for our events page, but you you were gone by the time uh, we launched our events page. And yeah, yeah. It was something that we had wanted to do, but Karina was still running Last Gas, which was yeah. everybody's resource for, you know, shows for sure. in town, who are the comics that are popping. She had such a cool little graphic that would show you some yeah, yeah. big font for somebody who was uh, – doing a ton of shows and you know the new comics were had just you know standard font anyway so it was like the envy of all the other comedy scenes in the country because it was so thorough and yeah. so in-depth and anytime you went anytime you traveled anywhere and people were like oh what do i do to find shows in austin you would take them to last gas and they were like this is this is the best and so yeah it, it, it i know that I had some conversations with people in St. Louis about it, and they have since like formed their own website, sort of in a similar fashion. And it's like that that website was like so ahead of its time, you know how how great it was. And it, it was it was live before I even moved to Austin in 2012. But it's just a testament, to like Karina and everybody previously to Karina, who was like upkeep, upkeep like kept that thing going. Yeah. Uh, what a great resource that was. And and I I can say even though I wasn't here. I did sort of witness like the birth of 
of the events page that you guys have and, you know, have definitely looked at it just to see like, oh, what's going on in Austin? Yeah. And make kudos to you guys for sort of taking that mantle and like really running with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and for the record, just so you know, is we had wanted to do something, but I did talk to Karina and I asked her, you know, hey, yeah. we want to do this. And her reaction is like classic. It was, it made me so happy. She's like, I'm done with this thing. Go <laughs> have it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then look at it now. You guys have done you you've yeah. done such a, a wonderful job with it, and yeah. it's a, it's the go to resource. What a yeah. what a cool what a cool contribution to the comedy scene. <laughs> well, thank you. This is yeah. now the you know all about about praising me now. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about comedy is that it's 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 a community, and you, you it's a scene, and the scene is not just the people who are performing or putting on shows. It's it's people like yourself. It's people like Marcus Wilson, you know, it, it's people who, Lane Forsander, like, like people who come out the comedy show. And th- those, those might be like dated references. I mean, I, I, Marcus and Lane, like, have come out to a lot of stuff and yourself as well. But there are people within the scene that don't participate at all that you still befriend and are like pillars of, of the community. So yeah, this, this is as much about you as it is anybody. This is a testament to your perseverance of like continuing to shine a spotlight on a group of people who, um, whether or not this is accurate, certainly feel like they don't get their, their, their due with like local media. Mm. Sorry, sorry to, sorry to go off on a rant there. It's my Dennis <laughs> Miller impression. I'm trying to sneak one in on every podcast. I do. <laughs> That's good. Uh, thanks. Thanks. I'm working on it. Um, okay, so uh, I have a cat sneaking back there, and as you were talking, I, I, I see the like the the there. Oh, he's yeah, yeah, on the other side. Yeah, there we go. There's a cat just morphing in and out of this of the background. And the background, I should also tell everybody, is somebody's back. You see their back. They're seated at a desk, and to the upper right of them is a cat that is duct taped to the wall. So. There's like a cat torture happening in the background, and then another cat in real in the real life investigating. <laughs> Frankly, it's it's riveting. <laughs> okay, now he's wandering over this way, and we're just yeah. This this I am so happy to have you because I I told you you're you're my birthday weekend episode. So <laughs> very honored. Yeah, I always make sure that I pick somebody that I absolutely adore that I know is going to be a good time, and. Yeah. So far, all of the mayhem around us is is <laughs> promising to to deliver. Uh, yeah. There's, there's going to be a cat fight. I can guarantee it because this okay. orange cat that's wandering around is not Miss Purry, who is sleeping soundly and is about to be woke. For now. Yeah. So there's 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 going to be a fight in the middle of this. Okay. Oh my God. It's happening. It's about yeah. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Uh, okay, so. Aaron, um, you know that with these episodes, I ask my icebreaker question, and uh, we're going to we're going to I'm going to recap for you the last two times what your one word to describe your past was. So the first time back in 2016, yeah, you were appreciative. Appreciative. Yeah. And then for the live show in summer of 2019, it was complicated. Yeah. So today. Boy, was that a, a precursor, right? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. 2023. One word to describe your past. Um, since the last podcast, uh, my past has been, I would say, uh, Oh man. Um debilitating. Oh god. I think it's probably the best word for it. Uh, the last 4 years have really broken me as a person. Uh and have like prevented me from pursuing things I wanted to pursue. Um for a variety of reasons. I mean the last 4 years have been tumultuous for all of us. Yeah, uh, but even independent of that, it, it would have easily been the worst four years of my life. But um, like all things, uh, you know, all seasons change. So I feel like as of recently, 
the last six months, things have started to turn around, and I'm at a point where I can look back on these last four years as, like, um, even though they were really difficult, I think they're going to be character building in a lot of ways and maybe future-proofing me emotionally in a way that, like, I hadn't really anticipated going into what has happened over the last four years. Yeah. Sorry, that that's very heavy, but that's, you know, that's just what... Life has been, like, pretty bad since I left Austin, since I left the paradise of Austin, you know? He's going out to L.A., it's a totally different animal, and I, I went there under some uh, precarious personal circumstances, even prior to, like, COVID happening, and I was kind of put in a big hole from the jump, and I've been uh, working hard and not so hard at times to, like, get out of that hole. So, and, and even though it's not funny, like, humor will come from it, and I hope that, like, Maybe somebody listens to this and is like, oh, man, the last four years have been really shitty for me, too. And then we get to the good stuff that's, like, just happened, like, we'll talk about. And it's like, yeah, you can try to get out of it, you know. The worst thing to do is just, like, staying stuck. Yeah. You got to try. And that's the hardest part sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. No, when you when you talk about how hard, um, you know, between, combination of, of events happening to you, it, it always takes yeah. it back to um a time when i just didn't think life could get any harder like there yeah yeah a, a combination for me that all happened within the span of three to six months where i was getting divorced i had to move out and downsize of a house yeah with a child so that you know there's added layers with that sure um i lost my job which i you know work in a kind of a professional industry where it's it's very unusual to lose your job. Yeah. And, uh I think there was something else that happened. Oh, oh, I when I had moved from Chicago to Austin, I never sold the house in Chicago. Oh no. I had was under a really stupid delusion that I could maintain both mortgages. Yeah. Uh Ugh. Which is a very privileged thing to admit. Um, sure, sure. I had a tenant who I had to foreclose on or not. Foreclose. Oh, no. I had to evict them. Sorry. That's yeah. I had to evict them. And I yeah. you know me. I'm, I'm not a mean person. I don't like. No, people. no. And so it was just terrible because the person was having a mental health crisis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was just like, OK, what? else can happen how am i ever going to get out of that hole and yeah for me which is kind of funny because i think it's similar for you uh oddly enough for me comedy became my salvation yeah because uh, once i could get out of that hole i started going to shows i started going yeah. to and uh the last time i had duncan and brendan on my podcast and i I told them I didn't give them all the gory details, but I told them after my divorce, I started going to your shows, uh, yeah. my therapy. And then Brendan just looks at me and says, did you ever go to actual therapy? <laughs> and I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> Who needs it, right? There's comedy. There's plenty of mentally ill people divulging their secrets on stage. Exactly. I therapy. Yeah. see how they were healing and not healing and was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, but we're, we're, yeah, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not going to dwell on all the, the, the difficult no. things that, that we've, we've, sure. I, um, I was so, uh, you know, as much comedy as I see, it is, it, it sometimes does blend together, but sure. every once in a while you get to watch something that is so utterly magical. Yeah. I wish I could capture this in a bottle. I wish I could have recorded it. And I, I mean, technically I think it was recorded. I don't know if it'll ever see the full light of day in its full form, but sometimes you see something so magical and it sticks with you. And Aaron, I'm not even just talking about when you came to the headline, the Velveeta last month, yeah. I'm talking about times I've seen you at punch times yeah. on that sure thing stage. Uh, and just the, Things that you let happen on stage <laughs> are just like, you're never going to see that anywhere else. You're never going to see that on any other night because Aaron is just so Aaron. 
yeah, you know, it's um, it's one of those things that like I've kind of always done. Like, um, so I put it to backtrack. I started in um a really small what you would, a lot of people would consider probably like a C or B level room at best. It was in the second floor of a Ramada Inn above a TGI Fridays. The Ramada Inn was so bad. It was actually owned partially by Joe Buck, a famous sports broadcaster. It was so bad, Ramada pulled the Ramada name. They're like, you can't be a, a Ramada anymore. You have to be like a quality inn or something. And um, so, it, again, it was Ramada Inn. Second floor was a comedy club. Downstairs on the ground floor, they had a TGI Fridays. They tore down the Ramada Inn and built a bigger TGI Fridays. Okay, this is like this is where I'm from. So I started doing comedy in this in this small room. Um, I can't. I, I I was pretty naturally good at at it. Um, there's not a, like a lot of things that I'm good at in life, but I had a background of playing music beforehand, and I come from a family of like weirdos and storytellers. It's my family is like we communicate on a really weird level with each other. And so I grew up just like telling stories and I was always the funny one with my friends. They'd say, Hey, Aaron, tell us about the time we did XYZ. And I would just go into the story. It's just been like my role socially for forever. And so when I stepped into it, that was the perspective I had. And, and I think this is something my theory on comedy is like a lot of people get into it because they're funny conversationally. Sorry, there, a car just drove by and I had my window open. I'm not professional. So people, like, they're conversationally funny. That gives them the bug to, like, go be funny in front of strangers. And then you start stand-up and people beat that out of you with, like, you got to tell jokes. You got to mm-hmm. tell set-up punchline jokes. And that's a totally different skill set than being funny with your friends. And I just never let that get beaten out of me. I was like, I know I'm funny. I know I'm funny just shooting the shit. I know I'm funny telling stories. And that was how I approached comedy really from day one. And I became like the unofficial like house MC of this room pretty quickly, like within a, maybe three months of doing stand up. I was there every weekend hosting three shows for paying crowds. And the guy who ran the club, his name's RV Loft. He's one of the best humans alive. He he never tried to, like, push me to do a certain type of comedy. He never, like, gave me advice on writing jokes. He encouraged me to do different stuff all the time and was like, okay, if I took chances that didn't work out. It was, like, a, the most supportive, nurturing environment I could have possibly imagined. And, like, that, that like, foundation of, of me as, like, a live performer yeah. has never left. And I think is, like, what those, like – um what those like very ephemeral moments that like I accept and embrace are built on, huh. you know, but yeah, uh, it's, I, I love those moments. Those are the best. Those are the best moments. Yeah. yeah. Um, since the pandemic and what the Austin scene has become, like, I can't, I can't think of, of, who are storyteller comics and like, you know, who, who we look up to as, as the storyteller comics since you left. That's a Royce, I think is really great at it. Uh, Chris Tellez is really great. Mac Blake does a great job. Um, I think, I think Avery, while it may not be like Avery (laughs) Moore, it may not be like a traditional, like A to Z narrative, like, like draws people in over like long stretches in a very similar fashion. Yeah. I think there's a lot of a lot of people who who have that skill, but I think I, I was probably on the furthest end of that as like that's all I do. Like yeah. like re- really is like if I'm gonna do a thirty minute set, I'm gonna I might tell like four or five stories and that's it. Whereas other people need like, okay, I need thirty jokes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I think I'm probably on the far end of the spectrum when it comes to that, but there are Austin is so talented. There's so many really wonderful people there still that are like killing it and super funny. And yeah, I think there's, I think that skill exists for a lot of people, but probably not to the extent as, as me. Yeah. So when you moved to, to LA, what kind of things uh, were you doing comedically? Um, When I got here, nothing. Mm. Uh, And to be like totally transparent, I think since, before I, I spent the first week of November in Austin, 
and I, I did I did several shows. Since I moved away, I think I had probably done maybe ten sets over the last four years. That's how that's how it's where I just I, I was at. And one of those was like a four set weekend featuring for a friend of mine in St. Louis. Stand up was like I would before this week in Austin, I hadn't done comedy in a year and a half. I hadn't been on a year and a half, you know, and uh, so I wasn't really doing a whole lot and I, I wasn't like trying to like put myself out there. I was trying to just like maintain any semblance of composure and sanity that I had. Uh, just because the, the move, I went through a very difficult breakup right, right before I left and it, that was like the, the thing that like, I'm not going to blame anyone, but, uh, it just, it put me in a hole and I really struggled to get out from underneath it. I isolated myself and was like super easily the loneliest I've ever been in my entire life. And a lot of that's on me, you know, but when you're in, when you're in a condition like I was in, it was, you know, it, it's like getting out of that, it seems feels impossible. So I just didn't do stand up. I was doing, uh, we were recording the Lanolax Corporation podcast. I was doing that, uh, and then that ended, and so then I was, like, really, like, without, like, any sort of community, because Lanolax was it for a while. Yeah. Um. So then I, I just, I started steering all of those weird ideas into short scripts, and I've probably got 30 of them that are, like, between 10 and 15 pages long, and they're all my Lanolax ideas, and they're weird, and they're gross, and they're violent, and they're stupid, and they make no <laughs> sense, but... Um, I, I've been, that's been what I've been doing comedically is like still trying to be creative, still trying to like be funny and find humor and things, but it's been all just for me up until, you know, this trip to Austin, which was, uh, my f- first step out of the hole, I think. Yeah. What, uh, what do you think made you ready to, to come out of, of that, that hole? Um, Full disclosure, I had a mental breakdown and uh, saw a therapist and got diagnosed with cyclothymia. I said, Doc, I don't even own a bike. It was a joke I made. Uh, <laughs> but it's also, I don't own a bike. Uh, so it was very stupid. So I got, di- I got this diagnosis. I got put on, you know, mood stabilizer and anti anxiety. So I got all kinds of shit now. And um, that has like really helped. Um, that also sort of, when that was very new, it sort of like put me on a high and I went like full vegetarian and did intermittent fasting, lost like 70 pounds. And, um, so I feel like physically healthier than I felt in a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, to be like totally transparent, Pat Dean bugged me into like coming to the belt. He had a fallout and he needed somebody to fill the weekend and he knew that I hadn't been back in Austin and I had been like, Always, people were asking me, but I was always like, oh, maybe in the spring, maybe in the fall, you know? And it was, a lot of it was like shame based of like, oh, I haven't done comedy in so long. I don't want to like come back and, you know, eat shit or whatever. But, um, that like really encouraged me to come back to the Valve. And that was like, that gave, that then gave me a goal and like something to look forward to, which I hadn't had in so long. So that was something where I could like emotionally prepare myself and like, immediately prepare myself of like, what do I want to talk about for 30 minutes? Because he knew I wasn't doing comedy, but he was, he trusted me enough with like three 30 minute sets over the course of a, a paid weekend, like to come be a comedian on stage. And uh, I'm very thankful for that opportunity, but it, it was, it gave me something to do mentally and emotionally to prepare for and to plan for. And that was, was really helpful. And you've, you've planned and prepared for, for shows in your career as a, as a comic. Did you, was it, did you feel like, uh, it was natural or that it was forced for you to do that preparation for a, an upcoming show? Or was, was it like to do a callback? Was it like riding a bike? You never forget how to do it. You know, the preparation part is something I don't, I generally don't write things down. Like I just had, I'm not somebody who typically will like sit down and try to, unless, unless I'm like actively like I need, I need to figure out a joke. I don't, I historically haven't written things down as I've gotten older and as like my, my goal in comedy, my goal in comedy is to tell like one long story over an entire set and to explore a narrative 
as thoroughly as possible along the way and to make like just to go down all the side streets and but still carry the narrative from beginning to end. That's me in my most fully realized form. Mm-hmm. And that's like the that's like the goal that I'm working to. So like coming into this week in Austin, I was approaching it that way of like, okay, how do I tell this one story over 30 minutes? What are the avenues I need to go down and explore? Like what what do I need to find along the way? And that's not something that is going to be 30 minutes. That's something that it might start out as like 15 and then you you have to build it and you have to like that's like the craft part of it, which is something that like historically I haven't done. So like I'm I'm working at comedy this whole this last week was me like trying to work at comedy more than I ever really have because like I miss it and I feel like I owe it. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So you you knew what you your goal was to to have that 30 minute 30 minute story to tell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then on Friday night yeah. You walk in, and yeah. you have this comedy gold in the front yeah. row, and the and uh, I want to know, because uh, so so for those of you who were not there, which is Velveeta's a nice small small room. A lot of you were not there. Yeah, on you, but um, you, there were two gentlemen in the front row and you started doing crowd work with them a little bit. And what I want to know is at what point in your mind did you say, forget my plan such as it was, this is going to be my 30 minute story. This you is. Know, so what happened was I stepped on stage and I, you know, you address the crowd. Hey, Al, how's it going? Whatever. Uh, give it up for the show, you know? And I heard the guy in the front row say something, and I couldn't, I couldn't quite make it out. He had an accent, mm-hmm. and I said, "That's an interesting accent. Where are you from?" And he said, "London, right?" And uh, I was like, "Okay, cool." Um, I've, I have always been somebody who will abandon any plan that I have going into a set for the drop of a hat for, for the smallest reason whatsoever. And I heard that this guy was from London, and it's like, okay, let's just see. He seemed like a nice guy, and was like. And into the show and engaged and you know you i i think for me as a comedian i i love crowd work i love sincere genuine crowd work i'm i'm not the kind of comedian who's going to go after somebody unless unless it's unless they come at me first mm-hmm. like i'm not that kind of comedian but i think i open myself up to like if somebody says something i would love to have a conversation about it you know because at that point I plant them as like a pool, you know, that like they're, that person is all of a sudden a callback 10 minutes later, you know, and it's like that it's that in and of itself is a narrative that runs throughout my set is that there's, there's somebody in the crowd that for whatever reason says something and it's my job to figure out why that interaction is funny and to cultivate that as something that I can use later to get a bigger laugh. Or something to, that I can use to tag a punchline. Yeah. Like it's just it's a game, you know. It's like how do how do I make this person organically part of the show in a, in like in like a, a way that doesn't threaten them or make them feel attacked? Yeah. Where they then then that person opens up to you a little bit more. And the rule is that if you give an audience member time to speak, eventually they're going to say something fucking stupid. <laughs> and you know, so then it's just it it just kind of it can really build and build. So for me, when I when I was talking to this guy, I had a napkin in my pocket with four words written down on it. I was like, these are like the four stories that I want to work on over this hour or this half hour and just see if one of them comes, comes running out of the gates. Like, mm-hmm. is there something that sparks and this this turns into like a 15-minute thing? Because that happens for me a lot. Not a lot, but it, it happens. Um, and those were things that I wanted to do. Like, I was, yeah, this is what I want to work on. And I heard this guy say this thing and he starts talking about his friend who was like six foot three and like handsome and in, in great shape. And they start telling this story about how this, his friend, Harry, um, lived in London, met a woman while in London who was visiting from Texas. They fall in love and he moves to Texas from London to be with her. And I was like, that's like a cool, that's like a cool ass story. And I want to I want to learn a little bit about it. So I'm we're talking, and while I'm asking Harry, 
this first guy, Charlie, keeps, like, chiming in and, like, telling the story on his behalf, right? And it, it just it just became a thing of, like, these two weird guys from London, and they were more interesting than anything else I was going to say. And I, I remember talking to them, and I looked down. I was like, okay, I've been doing crowd work for, like, seven minutes. And I think I even called it out. Yeah. And then I, I tried at one point to get out of it. Mm-hmm. I told I told, like, a little joke that I had told before to get out of it to hopefully like reset the room so I can work on these things. And they just kept pulling me back in. So it's like, okay, I'm going to just ride this weird interaction until either like I need to get off stage or until it runs out because it's still, I'm still being pulled that way. And it just happened to go. I look, I then looked down at my phone. It's a 27 minutes. And it's like, I've been talking to these two guys and this bizarre woman who just kind of chimed in. <laughs> Like for 27 minutes and the crowd was like, the crowd was really into it and everybody was having like a lot of fun. And I recognized, I was like, okay, 27 minutes, we got to land the plane. And I told, I told the thing that I was closing, I wanted to close with and that got a big laugh. And it was like, I, I've been doing stand up since December of 20, uh, 2009 and outside of like the last few years, I've done a lot of shows over my life. And that one is in like the top five of like most special. Like it wasn't the, it wasn't the funniest show I've ever done. It wasn't like the hardest I've ever killed or whatever, but it was just very special because I love doing crowd work. I love doing like fine, sweet crowd work. And I think that's what a lot of that was. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was great. I had a, I had some people who had seen me at um, Buzzmill the, on the Wednesday before the show that like saw me there and came out to buy tickets. Uh-huh. And it was like you got to see me riff this weird this weird story that I was working on at Buzzmill. Which if you're if you're an awesome person, you probably are listening to this. Uh, Buzzmill is the most underrated show in town. It fucking rules. Angelina and Carlton are great. Go on Wednesday nights at nine eight nine p.m. I think. Just up uh, their 10-year anniversary. I was the first headliner on that show oh 10 years ago. Amazing. Yeah, it was great. And that show was so fun. And then they came out to see this other thing that was somehow even more loose and more off the cuff and unhinged. And she came up to me at the end. She's like, what the fuck was that? I was like, I, <laughs> that was that was the comedy gods giving me a little gift, a little oh. treat, saying welcome back. And uh yeah, I'm I'm gonna release the whole thing. I was we recorded it. I'm gonna you know, everybody puts out crowd work clips and it it feels only appropriate that mine is gonna be twenty five minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I I think I'm just gonna call it my crowd work clip and yeah. it's me harassing two Londoners for twenty five minutes. That just that's the most Aaron Brooks crowd work clip there could be. So mm-hmm. that sounds yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Well and and as a as a comedy nerd myself, uh the the magic uh, really was uh, across so many layers. And, you know, you said the comedy gods, uh, you know, gave you a gift and it, it really was not just only your, your skills at drawing people out. And it's funny, like you said, you know, the, the, the two guys told me that you just bolted the things that they said. And it wasn't that they were obnoxious audience members just giving no, you. No, not at all their life it's like you drawing out little bits and pieces and creating this thing but also it is magical and it gives me hope that they were actually really good audience members like they weren't doing a ton of garbage at you like they tell you something and then you draw it a little bit more and uh sometimes uh i think this town has uh become very reliant on crowd work that is something that is different than than how the scene used to be and i think a lot of people who are in the audience want to spew way more and make it about them so uh, that's why it's such a it was such a multi-layered gift uh, uh that i got to witness or I think I think audience members, I think comedy in general, when you look online, everything is it's all micro. It's it's short clips of of big violent interactions, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And I think like all these like big gotcha moments. Mm-hmm. And um I've never been that kind of comedian, but I'm somebody who has like really reveled in crowd work ever since 
like, again, I was an MC at a, at a room where like sometimes you'd have four people on a Thursday night and those are nights where like jokes don't work. Like yeah. it just doesn't, it just doesn't. So you have to like be comfortable talking to people and be comfortable talking and thinking on your feet and kind of getting back to like the reason I got into comedy was because I was funny conversationally. That's what I'm doing. I'm just having a conversation with somebody and I've been doing that at like a pretty high level for a decade. I can do it with anyone, anyone. And it just so happened that like I've heard an interesting accent and those two guys were both like so genuine and they weren't trying to, there wasn't combative. And I think that's, that's on me too. Of like, how do we just have like a conversation? And I think that this is like a sweet story. What a sweet story. A man like meets yeah. a woman who's traveling abroad and then he moves to the States for her. It's like a Hallmark movie. Yeah. And he's like gorgeous and his weird frumpy friend is like, <laughs> here's what happened. And like, like telling him, and just like doing like, interesting and charming and dorky yeah. and we just ran with it and like those guys were were all like they were really nice people and they offered to buy me a drink afterwards and uh <laughs> i think i think they i think everybody had a lot of fun again it might not have been the the funniest set i've ever done but yeah everybody had a really good time yeah and it, it was again it was a little welcome back present for me and that was like a very very special very special set that like I'll probably never have again and if i do it certainly won't be under those circumstances and I, it's going to be one of those sets that like i remember forever yeah it's it's like the the kickstarter to your return i mean what a what a hell of a, yeah. a, a welcome yeah. back uh i know we're hyping so much about that friday night show how did your your saturday shows which you got to do too um, yeah night they were, they were great i almost fell off the stage oh, at no. one point in time I, you know, I was looking and the lights were super bright and I took a step and there was no stage. I fortunately managed to like land in the chair, like with my foot. Uh, oh. and I, I played it off. I was like, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, I never get to show my athletic prowess up here. But, <laughs> um, so what, what, the interesting thing that happened on Saturday was they burned down my childhood home. Uh, the volunteer fire department burned it down back home. And I was, that was like kind of an emotional thing. So I, I wanted to talk about it. You know, that's, that is a very Aaron Brooks thing to do. Yeah. And um, so I was talking about it and people like there was a guy who was a firefighter who's like, you shouldn't burn down a house. And I'm like, no, like the volunteer firemen are like using it for practice. Like they're they're doing like police dog training. It was an old farmhouse that fell into a state of disrepair and needed to be torn down. And he was he just kept like going at me like you shouldn't do that. I was like, I don't think you get like the fire department is it's not like I'm out there with a fucking butane torch torching my childhood bedroom. No, it's like the fire department is doing it. And so, uh, he was like very combative with me and, um, somebody in the crowd goes, I don't believe it. So I, I called my mom, which is like a thing that I've done a handful yes. of times before. I called my mom, who is like a hundred percent where I get all of it from. Mm-hmm. And I, she answered the phone. I said, Hey mom. And she goes, then she, she just said, hello, Austin. Like she just like loved it. Oh. Uh, and so I said, mom, I'm not going to, I'm not going to preface this question, but I, I just, need me to tell people what ha- what significant event happened in our family today. And she says, my childhood home and Aaron's childhood home. And that same lady just goes, shut the fuck up. Like, she just was just like in disbelief. It's like, yeah, they burned down our house. Like, I'm here to talk about it. Uh, so the, it was like another very, very fun moment of like, here's my mom. And like, we're talking to the fireman who I have like a contentious interaction with. And she starts flirting with him, and I'm like, "Mom, stop!" You know, it was just like a very fun, silly thing to do. That like, I don't think I don't think a lot of other comics do that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it was I, I wanted to have as much fun as I possibly could, and that's like one of my favorite things is to call my mom late at night to see if she'll <laughs> answer. She always does. She always does. It's oh crazy. well, as as a mom, I can say I'm always going to answer <laughs> the phone when my calls. Yeah. So sure. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was uh Friday night shows were great. We had three great crowds all weekend. And the Velveeta Room is kind of notorious amongst comics for, like, you have – every weekend you seem to have, like, one really great set, and then you have one that's just like, what the hell, man? you know? <laughs> and Friday night comes, and I have this set that's, like, incredibly special and super, and it's like, okay, here comes the stinker, and it just never happened. It was, like, they were all three, like, really fun – very loose, great crowds. The openers were fantastic. 
uh, yeah, it was, and it was so funny to see like Danny Goodwin and Sawyer Stull who were on one of the shows and like having not seen either one of those guys in four years, they were like, watching them. Yeah. I, I was like, I told them both, I was like, you guys have leveled up. You guys are so good. Baron Cheatham was fantastic. Justin Gunn came out and like, have you hear the old Velveeta heads know him? He, he came out and had like a really great set. Like, and just like to feel like the warmth and love of my friends who even just showed up to be around. Matt Bearden came out and watched and, you know, Hunter Duncan, like, like people that I, I care about and love a lot just to be there and to have them to hug them and say, I miss you. Like really was just was so good for me. And, uh, I'm so appreciative of those people. It was an incredible experience to come back. Yeah. So the inevitable question is, so what are you going to do now that you've, you've had your, your kickstart? Are you going to, um, what are you doing? It's, uh, finally introducing myself to the LA comedy scene, you know, <laughs> trying to like book shows. And part of that is like, okay, now I have like clips that I can send out that are not from 2019, you know? Uh, so I have like relevant things that I can use to try to get booked and it's just start start doing the thing that you went there to do. Like a lot of people take time off and rediscover it. Emma, Emma Willman is one of them who said she did like three years where she didn't do any stand up, and then came back and was just like killing. Like not that I anticipate that level of success or anything. She's fantastic. But uh, like for me, the rediscovery of comedy for me in Austin and like the way I did it felt evolved from the way I was doing it when I left, because that whole time, even though I wasn't doing stand-up, I was still doing Lanolax, which I hadn't done hardly any comedy since Lanolax really got running and was like a regular thing and became very serious for us. So I had never like incorporated that element of like fast thinking, being being quick on my feet all the time. I've never incorporated that into my stand-up before. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like I'm coming out of this with like uh, – a hunger to do it more again at a way that I haven't felt in a long time and like more skilled and funnier than I've ever been. Even though I haven't been on stage a lot, I just, my brain has still been like flexing that comedy muscle this whole time. So it it felt, felt effortless. Like I had never left. Like it just, you know, again, because I've sort of thematically here, like talked about like my approach to stand up has just been just be a funny person and do the things that make you think you're funny, which is just telling stories to my friends. Yeah. And because that's how I've approached it. It's not like it's a skill that diminishes. It's or a tool that gets worn down. It's just who I am. And just try to be like my authentic self and be a funny person in the moment. And I think that that for me is like what I have to bring to LA now. And I think that's, I think that's pretty different than what a lot of people especially a lot of people who are like having success are doing, which is always good. Just go against what people who are being successful are doing. That's probably why I've never had any success at all, but uh, <laughs> I'm the least successful comedian on the planet. It's funny, <laughs> but um, you know, I feel like the pendulum has swung in the direction of short clips that are um, big, uh, aggressive moments. And I'm long drawn out. I'm a slow burn. Yeah. And, I'm totally okay with that. I I feel really comfortable knowing that I'm sort of against the green, and eventually the pendulum will swing back, and I want to be able to touch it when it does. Right, right. You are, uh, in addition to a, a verbal storyteller, you're a really, really good writer, and I know you, you. You used to have a blog, and I remember, you know being super excited at any time you would like, you know, announce that you'd written a new, new thing. And I, I, I'm remembering, a uh, can't remember if it was a Whataburger story, uh, that you had blogged about. Uh, I mean, it's Jimmy I, John's maybe. Okay. Not yeah. Even Jimmy John's. But. Uh, just, you know, re- remembering the things that you, you've written and you're in a writing city, you know, writing for, for TV and yeah. film. Is that, is that something that you thought you were going to pursue when, when you first move? Oh yeah. And that's still like a big goal for me. That's part of like, I wanted to write for television. That was like one reason why I came here. I mean, I, instead of like the decision became like New York or LA 
And it was, it, it feels like if you're going to go to LA, you're going to write like features or you want to write sitcoms or something like that. If you go to LA, you want to go there and like write for late night or write for, write jokes. And that's definitely not in my wheelhouse. I'm not a guy who's like a good topical joke writer. That's just not me. Yeah. Um, I, I like the narrative. I like the long form. So it was definitely, um, that choice greatly informed where I wanted to go. And so that's kind of like, since Lanolax ended, that's been like my focus is like I'm writing scripts, even though they're short, weird things, they're the most fun to me. And I'm, my plan is to like package like a dozen of them together and they would be a perfect like animated, like adult swim type show. Um, just Lanolax animated essentially is what a lot of it boils down to. They're, they're just so, they're just very weird and, and dumb. Uh, but I'm, I have a couple, uh, projects that I'm working on right now. Um, writing a pilot with my, or working on a pilot with my roommate. And, um, I got a feature that I'm working on that's very dumb, but, uh, there's some, I'm enjoying all of it. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, that to me is the most important thing. It's like you kind of get to a point in comedy where you go, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be successful at this, like commercially. But like, I at least that, then that means like, what is it for me? It's like, oh, this just has to be really fun and like worth doing. And I find, I get a lot of joy out of writing like that. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you have brought it up, uh, several times now. And I am not just a Aaron Brooks, uh, live <laughs> stand up fan. I am, uh, a Lana Lax fan and was hardcore. I, yeah, giggled my way into several deaths. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which for those of you that haven't listened to, to Lanolax, don't know what it is. Uh, it is a kind of a choose your own adventure, but it, uh, unless you are, I know there were certain specific rules, but almost all the time, whoever the guest was on that was being taken on an adventure died. That was kind of, yeah. A- <laughs> the, yeah. The, the rule was pretty much like the, the de- and the death was always either humiliating or just brutal, oh, yeah. just brutally violent or sad. There were only a handful of like, so the podcast, I think somebody best described it once as Dungeons and Dragons meets Black Mirror, mm. which, yeah. so it was, two, it was one person pitching a scenario that was far-fetched and ridiculous, uh, and mostly improvised and, uh, then we're basically basing the rest of the story is based on how that person reacted. So there were a handful of beats you might have within a story, but it's a 30 minute long thing essentially most of the time. And a lot of it was 99% improvised. And again, just dumb, just do the stupidest thing you could imagine. And it, it the most creatively rewarding high wire act, tight rope walk. You were constantly just trying to find the next funny moment, the next funny beat, mm. uh, just grasping at every single straw, regardless of how ridiculous it seemed. Um, it was so creatively rewarding. And there's over 700 episodes of them. We put one out every weekday for over three years. And they're on Podbean and Spotify. It takes probably 20 episodes for it to really, like, find its feet and to to solidify kind of what the format felt like and and to like really establish how outlandish it could be but once we once we got to that point it was a character bill the dill that changed everything there was a character named bill the dill who was part of the pickle clan which was just like a giant by network every pickle across the globe could see and hear anything with an eye shot eye shot and earshot and they could transmit that information to any other pickle like Neurally. It was so dumb. And once we embraced like that really weird, bizarre element of this is a universe that you can do whatever you want, uh, the show really took off and became something else that was totally different than anything I've ever really heard before or since. And just so much fun. Yeah. 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 Uh, I miss it a lot. Yeah. D- dare I ask if you, if you think there is a, a universe in which, cause I don't know that there is another show that, that's, Anything like it, uh, is, is there any chance that, uh, in the future we, we could see that come back? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think that's, that's a question that like a lot of people have asked to me, asked me. And I, uh, under, under, under the correct circumstances, mm-hmm. I would, I would welcome it with arms wide open. Yeah. You know, it, but I think getting just, 
yeah, by nature of like just life and like things end sometimes and yeah. you got to figure out what's the best way to do that for all parties involved and take a break from things. And if, uh, if we get to a point where that is something that happens again, it, it would be, it, I would love it. It would be very creatively rewarding, but it's not guaranteed. Yeah. Well, but who knows, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You, one never does know. Um, yeah. But, uh, I will say as I have been forced, uh, by, by my son and by my boyfriend to make routine visits to Austin comic books, uh, if you have 700 episodes, uh, I don't know. To me, it seems like, uh, with the right partnership, those episodes could be a comic book series. I, you know, that was something that we, we had always wanted to do was find a way to, like do more with it but our our goal from that thing from the jump was this is going to be entirely word of mouth there we never paid a dime for advertising we turned down people who wanted to advertise on the show mybookie.net wanted to advertise which is like the only way it would have worked is if we would have worked it into the fabric of of the narrative yeah um but that was also like it's still we, we were very pretentious about protecting the format of like, there's no intro music. There's no outro. It mm-hmm. just starts. It just ends. There's no breaks. There's no commercials. Uh, it's just like walking into a room and hearing two people having the most fucked up conversation you could imagine. Yeah. In a, like a goofy way. <laughs> we really wanted to protect that. And that was something that was really important to us. So we, we did it all without like any help and it was all word of mouth. And I think we had kind of thought in the back of our heads that like the work it would have taken to do it justice would have cost money that we weren't prepared to like put into it just because it was sort of against like the ethos of the show. And we didn't want anybody to like do work for nothing, you know? <laughs> uh, so the, it, it really was just like, this is a podcast. This is what this is. It, it doesn't, not everything has to be spun off into something else. Um, but it, it was in its most pure form. It was just a podcast with a couple of friends telling dumb stories. Yeah. And as much as I would have liked to have seen some of it animated, um, it would have been cool. It might have taken away from some of that ethos of, of what we wanted. That being said, I do have a couple of scripts of certain episodes already written uh-huh. that, um, notably Living in Sin, the one where Pat, uh, Pat starts dating a woman and they're having premarital sex and they're visited by a ghost nun. Um, and they all, Pat went to Catholic school and these, all these ghost nuns just beat past that to death at the end for having premarital sex and sinning. Um, that one we have written, I have one, um, uh, yeah, I've got a couple of them that are done that are just so stupid, but maybe, maybe we'll give those to someone down the line and they could do something cool with them, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that I could actually still go back and, and listen to them that they, you had yeah. a- them down so i might yeah we it's weird we get we still get so many downloads like we we haven't been online since like 2020 i guess and um we we've gotten over 50,000 downloads since we went off we're we're pushing 400,000 historically without ever again without ever spending a dime it was all word of mouth it also helps when you put out an episode every single day but Yeah, uh, you know, it was it was really like a labor of love. I wouldn't have like scaled it back for anything. Yeah, because then it forces you to like keep pushing the boundary. Like how many? I became just like I I have so many ideas for stories, and it's because of Lanalax. Mm-hmm. It's because every every day we're putting out an episode where it's like you're forcing me to put together an idea to build essentially build a structure that you can pour your ideas into mm-hmm. that makes them coherent and a narrative and makes sense. So I, I've gotten really good at just like coming up with ideas huh. and because it, partially because like you do so many of them, you run out of like good ideas and now you have to like take bad ideas and make them good, which mm-hmm. is a totally different skill set. And when you could do that, it's like the whole universe of ideas opens up to you because nothing is off limits because you, you possess the skill to make anything palatable. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I, it was great. Cool. Lanolax rules. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Um well, is there is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want people to know about the 
the return of Aaron Brooks. <laughs> um, I, if anybody out there is listening and is going through a difficult time, know that it can get better, you know, and that like, even when it feels like you, you can't help yourself, just figure out, you got to figure out one thing, make a list, you know, like, uh, just get out of, get out of bed, touch your toes, you know, go take a shower, like as low as, as low as it gets, it doesn't, it doesn't have, it doesn't mean you're stuck there forever. Yeah. And I feel like the last few years have been stuck in one place in a real deep, bad, um, dark, lonely rut. But you just kind of keep inching your way out. You know, if you're, if you're a creative, just write the next thing, you know, write something that's, that's going to suck. It's okay. Like if you're not a creative, find a way to like, Put a part of yourself out into the world. Like if that, that kind of like returns back to you and, and energizes you. So that it just, it's all about like doing, doing the work on yourself and, and like having faith that eventually bad shit ends and things turn around. So I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as the, the, the maternal voice here, I'll say, and sometimes, uh, going to therapy and getting on medications that can help stabilize you uh, are an important part of that. Absolutely. Too. Yeah. And, uh, and there, there, you know, if you're not doing that, I promise you as somebody who's on the other side of that, you will look back at like every failed relationship, job, event that you blew or opportunity you missed and you will go, shit, if I had only been this version of myself at that time, medicated and mentally healthy, who knows how much better or different my life would be? I promise you that. So if you're if you're not trying to make yourself better in that way, find a way to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you're in crisis, nine eight eight, it's there. It's yeah. Um, nothing. Man, what an what an emotional show. I know, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like okay. No, it is good. No, it. Yeah, I I think again. Bring, to bring it back, I think that's that's like my hallmark. It's, it's like a human being is that I'm I'm emotionally vulnerable. Very, I'm very vulnerable and I'm very emotionally available at all times. And I, I try to practice like radical honesty and uh, and openness. And I think that comes across in my comedy. And uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to being what will surely be a different kind of voice out here in L.A. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to watch watch what happens. Yeah, and I'll put that I'll put that crowd work clip out soon too. So. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And I can't get the uh, the dumb U2 song out of my head now because you said some <laughs> words together in one one particular way, and it's it's the I can't you know you can't get you're in you're stuck in a place and you can't get out of. So thank you. Eric. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I draw you know I said for a long time the funniest person on the planet is Bono. I draw all my comedic inspiration from you too. So. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, thank you, Valerie, for being the sweetest thing. <laughs> oh God! Stop. Oh, what a beautiful day it's been today. <laughs> that, that, is, that is a wrap on God. Let's just let's just close out with a whole bunch of uh, YouTube. Yeah, yeah YouTube. Yeah, that's a wrap on comedy. Wham presents Aaron Brooks, <laughs> Volume Three: A Glorious Return. Um, Aaron, tell us where we can find you on social medias and and promote projects um i have nothing worth promoting at the moment <laughs> um but eventually i will i'm on instagram and aaron brooks comedy uh aaron underscore underscore brooks on twitter i don't tweet at all anymore because it's a hellscape yeah uh, at some point i'm gonna have to get like a tiktok just to put clips online that'll be live at some point but um yeah aaron brooks comedy at gmail.com if you ever want to say hello feel free <laughs> to drop me a line i've got nothing going on so i will respond <laughs> And your album, you can still find your oh, album. Yeah. Everything. Yes, secrets. It's out on everywhere: Spotify, uh, Amazon, Apple, all that stuff. It's really good. If you like, if you like weird, intimate storytelling comedy, I'm your guy. Uh, you should check it out. It's a really fun, really fun record. I think. I think we, uh, we did a review of it because we we love it yeah. so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Aaron got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as much as <laughs> I have. Oh, actually, I want to go back because you said something about TikTok. Um, 
So yeah. Duncan Carson got like some viral videos by doing a thing on on TikTok. So there is hope for you know the nerdy maybe or nerdy awkward comic type. So yeah. Yeah, those those uh, Generation Z are just clamoring for us forty year old fat bearded white men. They love us. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna kill it once I get on there. <laughs> or this low energy, yeah. slow burn, long winded forty year old fat guy. You never know. He wasn't yeah. expecting <laughs> to go viral. He did. Good <laughs> <laughs> for him. This has been Comedy Wham presents Aaron Brooks. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you.